scripture passage this evening is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. We're going to read through till chapter 5, verse 11. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. It's the reading of God's word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Lord's Day 19 in the back of your Psalter hymnal on page 26. Page 26 in the back of your Psalter hymnals, Lord's Day 19. Let's read the answers together with one voice. Why the next words, and sitteth at the right hand of God? Christ ascended to heaven, there to show that he is head of his church, and that the Father rules all things through him. How does this glory of Christ, our head, benefit us? First, through his Holy Spirit, he pours out his gifts from heaven upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends us and keeps us safe from all enemies. And how does Christ return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? In all my distress and persecution, I turn my eyes to the heavens and confidently await as judge the very one who has already stood trial in my place before God, and so has removed the whole curse from me. All his enemies and mine, he will condemn to everlasting punishment, but me and all his chosen ones, he will take along with him into the joy and glory of heaven. It's the teaching of the Catechism. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Help us to see the comfort 
of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ that we have as disciples, as believers. But help us also to see the wrath and the destruction that is coming for all those who do not have faith in Christ. May the coming of the Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, not be something that lures us into a sleep. A sleep of inaction, lulling, waiting, sitting. But may the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ spur us on to live for you. To die for you. To be devoted to you. And to bring all that we can with us. To be chosen ones. That can come along with Christ. Into the joy and glory of heaven. We ask all this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, some of you um, may not know this, some of you may, but um, my family and I, we live in the parsonage of Cottage Grove, and a parsonage is a house that belongs to the church and is offered to the pastor and his family to live in. It's uh, something that's kind of gone out of practice. A lot of new churches don't have parsonages, but the idea was... This makes it easier for pastors to transition from place to place. There's not a need for purchasing a house. There's not a need for selling a house, that sort of thing, right? Um, But the reality is that's not my house. That's your house. You do a great job of not making us feel like that. But this morning, after the morning service, the building committee had to come over And walk around the house and check things out. And why do you think I mentioned that? Well, it's because we've known for some weeks that the building committee was going to come visit the house that belongs to the church. And because of that, we we made preparations. (laughs) The reality is that they didn't really see the house as it normally is. But because we knew someone was coming, we got ready. Because we knew that the people who really owned the house, whom the house belonged to, were going to be arriving, we got prepared. You might see where I'm going with this, but tonight we're talking about The second coming of Christ. And often in some Christian cultures, the second coming of Christ is is used as a fear tactic for believers. Oh, Christ is going to come again any moment. You better be ready. And I don't really want to go that direction. But I do believe that the second coming of Christ is a comfort to believers. But it's also a call. It's a call to be prepared, to be ready. Because the one who owns us, according to the catechism, that we are not our own, 
but belong in body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, is coming again to take what is his. So we should be ready. Our theme tonight is Christ's... That was not a good... Second coming... I am really struggling tonight, guys. Is a comfort for believers. <laughs> and I'm going to be focusing on, in particular, that last question and answer in the Catechism. And it mentions, I believe, three things of why Christ's second coming is a comfort. Believers. Uh, the first is that it is the declaration that we, as the people of God, have been acquitted. The second is that in the coming of Christ we are vindicated. And third, in the coming of Christ we've arrived. By arrived, I mean made it to our final destination, to our home. But before we get to that final question and answer, question and answer 52 in the Catechism, uh, which is really what the, um, the scripture passage that I've chosen is speaking of, the second coming of Christ, um, I want to cover those first few questions and answers. So we've been looking at the section in the Apostles' Creed that speaks of Christ. And last week we talked about the ascension of Christ. Um, what does it mean that he ascended into heaven, right? Well, it's important that we note that Christ did not simply ascend into heaven and then nothing else happened. We confess he ascended into heaven and he sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And in um, theology, this is called the session of Christ. It's a word that's sort of gone out of practice in that particular tense, but when we we talk about a session, it's a, an activity, duration of time, right? Uh, if you were to go on to Presbyterian circles at all, the meeting of the elders is actually called the session, because that's where the church is ruled, from the session, right? Um, when it describes that Christ sits at the right hand of God, it's not saying that Christ is inactive, that he's not doing anything. He is revealed to be the head of the church, and that the Father rules all things through him. But from his seating, from his session, he pours out the Holy Spirit, giving us the gifts, spiritual gifts of the church. And if you go to Ephesians 4, you can read about that. It does not only include the spiritual gifts that we need um, to function as the body of Christ, but also includes um, teachers, pastors, elders. Um, but also... That in this session, he intercedes for us. He protects us. Keeps us safe from all enemies. And that is to say that when Christ proclaims that no one can snatch you out of my hand, no one can take you from me, that what the Father has given to me, I will bring on that day. He's protecting us. He's interceding for us. He's keeping us. In his care. Um, nothing can snatch us away from him. 
And so that is Christ's work of session, his being seated at the right hand of the Father. But I want to focus on the second coming of Christ. Um, the next redemptive historical moment that we are looking forward to in this day and age is the second coming of Christ. And Christ's second coming is described for us in the Apostles' Creed by these words. He returns to judge the living and the dead. And those words, when we confess them, can sound kind of ominous, can't they? He comes to judge the living and the dead. The Catechism does an interesting thing here. It does something that it has done often, and it asks us, not how does that benefit you, how does that comfort you? How does the coming of Christ to judge the living and the dead comfort us as believers? And it starts first with that statement. In all my distress and persecution, I turn my eyes to the heavens and confidently await as judge the very one who's already stood trial in my place. When Christ, who is the judge, comes to judge the living and the dead, the acquittal that the believer experiences is the final realization that the judgment that you and I deserve is not being meted out to us because it's already taken place in Christ. Christ has been judged in our place. The judge is the judged one. The judge who comes again to judge the living and the dead has already been judged by God on our behalf. So we are acquitted. It is finally revealed before all those who mock at the thought of forgiveness of sins. At the thought that there is even such thing as evil and good, as wrong. And right, as those who mock in this world and say, do whatever it is that you want, and who cares that you're believing in this fairy tale of Jesus Christ who has died in your place, who has taken away your sins, I'm going to keep going on living in my life. And on that day, they're going to realize that they are going to receive judgment because their judgment was not in Christ. We've been acquitted. Because Christ stood in our place before God and he removed the whole curse. From me. Now I think this wording here in the catechism is extremely beautiful because what it's saying is that at the coming of Christ... Um, the part of the curse that has been removed from us in the spiritual sense, a wiping away of our sins, will come to its fullness and also getting rid of the curse that has affected our physical bodies. We will be made whole. and We will have had the whole curse removed from us. But there's also 
this truth that we will be vindicated. The coming of Christ is a comfort to believers because we are acquitted. But it's also a comfort to believers because we are vindicated. Uh, maybe another way that we can say this is justified in our actions. Justified in our choice, our path of following Christ. And here it says, on that day, Christ's enemies... And ours, he will condemn to everlasting punishment. <coughs> I want to camp on this for a moment because some people could read this statement in the Catechism that the coming of Christ again. As a comfort to believers, because other people receive everlasting punishment, isn't that kind of sadistic? That we would find comfort in other people experiencing everlasting punishment? Well, I, I want to take a step back here and think about this, because the reality is, in our day and age... There is no such thing as final justice. There is no such thing as somebody who didn't get caught in this life will finally meet the judge someday. Because that's what we don't get often. Is that as many murderers that we see put on trial and receive years and years in prison or sentenced to death, as many rapists or however many horrible crimes you can think of, as many wicked people who are going after Christians and killing them in the streets because they hate God and they hate Christ who are caught in this life, there are that many more who are not. And people who don't have an understanding of final justice final judgment that one day everyone's going to get theirs are appalled at that. There has to be final justice, a reckoning in this life because there is no life to come. And all the catechism here is saying is that there are enemies of Christ. There are enemies of the cross. There are enemies of the way of righteousness and the way of God. And Christ's enemies are, are our enemies. This here is not talking about that girl in sixth grade who wrote a silly note about you that made everybody think something that wasn't true, and you've hold, held that grudge against her since that day. This is not talking about your enemies who are your enemies because you don't get along with them at family gatherings, and you're, they're the, the, the person that you like the least in that side of the family. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the enemies of Christ, the enemies of the gospel. The enemies of the way of righteousness and justice and truth. 
And there is a comfort in knowing that all that has done, been done wrong and all the evil that has gone on in this world will meet its maker. That there is a reckoning that happens on that day when Christ's enemies and ours condemn to everlasting punishment. But that doesn't make us better than them. This is a moment to look at and to say, if not for Christ, we would be enemies who deserve everlasting punishment. Nonetheless, it is a vindication of the people of God to see the enemies of God receive their just desserts, for lack of a better term. Receive their due. We're all going to stand before that judgment seat, every single one of us, to give an account of what we've done, what we've said. And when all that is said and done, there will be one answer that will distinguish us from those who are condemned to everlasting punishment. And that is, I believe in Jesus Christ. That he, my judge, was judged in my place. First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is talking about the coming of the Lord. He's speaking to the church in Thessalonica because they're worried because some people have died. That's what he means when he says some have fallen asleep. He says, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, those who have died, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. There is a coming of the Lord. And this coming of the Lord, it's not only an acquittal, it's not only a vindication, but it's also an arrival. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, when the Lord comes, he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who died preceding us, will be with the Lord when he comes again. And we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, could that be Paul? Paul thought it could be him. It could be us. Who knows? We'll certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left We'll be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The arrival spoken of here in the catechism says, Me and all his chosen ones, all the elect of God, the chosen ones. He's going to bring with us, he's going to bring us with him. To enjoy the joy and glory of heaven. I think the interesting thing that Paul is talking about here. When he says encourage each other with these words. Is that there is a, um, 
There's a privilege to dying before Christ returns. I would say that most of us would love to have the privilege of being alive when Christ comes again. To judge the living and the dead. To witness that moment. To see us change in the twinkle of an eye. But Paul here is saying those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, they are going to be raised first. And they're going to be with the Lord first. And we will go to greet them, to be with them together. And that's why precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of the saints. Encourage each other with these words. Comfort one another with these words. That when Christ comes again, it is a coming so that we can finally go home. So that we can arrive. Uh, Right now, we're always in the business of traveling. We're pilgrims in this land. We're exiles. We are not really home here. We may be citizens of the United States, but we're actually citizens of heaven. We may live in the city of South Holland or the village of South Holland or the city of Chicago, but we have a city that's built by God's very own hands that we are waiting for, that we are longing for. We're not really home here. Most of us sense that. We feel that. And one of the great reasons why the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is a comfort because it's going to be home. It's arriving where we've always been traveling toward. He will take us, all his chosen ones, with him into the joy and glory of heaven. Paul continues in 1 Thessalonians to talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And he gives us some wisdom. He says we shouldn't be worried about times and dates. And if Paul was saying that in the first century, then I think we should continue to say that now. Um, The Lord will come like a thief in the night. We don't know when that's going to be. We don't know when it could happen. I've always said it would be great if I was up here preaching about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And I said, it could be right now. And it happened, but it hasn't happened yet. And what Paul says is that when Christ comes again, it's going to be like in the days of Noah. People were being married and people were doing all that they were doing and living out their fullness of their wicked hearts and it just arrived real quick. Peace and safety, they will say, and destruction will come suddenly. But we don't live in the darkness. We live in the day. We're sons and daughters of the light, sons and daughters of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So let us not be like others who are asleep. Here Paul is not talking about those who are dead. He's saying those who are asleep spiritually, dead spiritually. Let us be alert, self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. What are we to do as we await for the coming of the Lord Jesus? We're to 
Put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For we have not been appointed to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be ready, to be alert. Just like I was aware that the buildings committee was going to come over to the house, so maybe we should get ready, get prepared, clean up a bit. We are to be spiritually alert. Living each and every day of our lives as if that could be the day that Christ comes again. Horatius Bonar, that great hymn writer, we're told would often wake up in the morning, look out the window and say, Lord, maybe today. And then before he went to bed at night, he'd look out the window and he'd say, Lord, maybe tonight. That's the perspective we are called to have as Christians living in this world, waiting for the coming of our judge, the comfort of the coming judge, is that we know that when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead, that we have already been judged in this place. (coughs) The comfort of the coming of the judge is that on that day that Christ comes The people of God will be vindicated. In Christ's enemies and his enemies, he will condemn to everlasting punishment. The comfort of the coming judge is that when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead, he will take us to be with him forever. And we will finally arrive at the home our hearts have always been longing for. And Christ's second coming is a comfort to believers But it's also a call, a call for us to live devoted lives to Jesus as we wait. A call for us to know that that impending judgment that is coming for those who are outside of Christ is another day for us to reach out with the hand of grace and to give them the gospel, the good news of Christ, that there is salvation, that there is a way out of that coming judgment. It's a call for us to be alert, to be prepared, to be ready as we wait for our dear Savior. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Thank you that you have given us the hope of our coming Savior. May we live, Lord, faithful to you as we wait. May we, Lord, seek justice and mercy as we wait. May we, Lord, not lose heart as we wait. Help us, Lord, to be alert, self-controlled, live as sons and daughters of the light in the day. Help us to know of the comfort that is the second coming of Christ, that we may be ready on that day to be welcomed into his presence forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.